0: volunteers, a place to pray and be prayed for, a place that pointed people to God, all the things a church should be, never mind the plans for a new World Trade Center, or the city's designs for an official memorial, never mind the tourists gathered at the ten-foot chain-link fence around the pit, or the throngs gawking at the pictorial timeline pinned along the top of the fence. Photos of the Twin Towers inception and creation and place in history. Souvenir picture books might be sold around the perimeter of the pit. But only one place gave people a true taste of what had happened that awful day. St. Paul's. The ferry docked and Jamie was one of the first off. When it was raining or snowing, she took a cab. But today she walked. Streets in Lower Manhattan teemed as they always had, but there was something different about the people. It didn't matter how many years passed, how many anniversaries of the attacks came and went. The people of New York City would never be the same. Yes, they were busy, still driven to climb the ladders or make a name for themselves in New York City, but for the most part they were more likely to make eye contact. And when they did, they were more likely to smile or nod or give some sort of sign that the bond was still there, that a city couldn't go through something like New Yorkers went through September 11 and not be changed forever. Jamie breathed in hard through her nose and savored the sweet mix of seawater and city air. Jake would have liked this, the way she was facing the situation, allowing her pain to work for good in the lives of others. She had lived in paralyzing fear for so long. But now, now that she had lost Jake, she could face anything, not in her own strength, but because Jake's faith lived deep within her. Funny how she would come to be a volunteer at St. Paul's. It was Captain Heisel's idea. He had been Jake's boss his mentor. He'd found Jake, or the man he thought was Jake, in the aftermath of the collapse of the towers. Of course, the man hadn't been Jake at all, but Eric Michaels, a Los Angeles businessman who came into Jamie's life by mistake, a man she believed was her husband for three agonizing months, a man who had gone home to his family three years ago without looking back, and rightfully so. Jamie had told only a few people the details of that tender, tragic time. Captain Heisel was one of them. The captain became a special friend in the months and years since the terrorist attacks. At first, they shared an occasional Sunday dinner. But since shortly after the first anniversary of the attacks, they were together at least twice a week, volunteering at St. Paul's and sharing lunch or dinner. He was Aaron to her now, and the two of them had everything in common, or at least it seemed that way. Jamie turned a corner and saw the old cemetery. It was clean now, free of the ash and debris that had gathered around the tombstones and remained there for months after the attacks. The island of Manhattan was a different place since that terrible Tuesday morning, more vulnerable, less cocksure but warmer, too. Stronger. For most of America, time might have dimmed the horror of what happened to New York City when the Twin Towers fell. But those who were there would always remember. The connection it gave Manhattan residents was undeniable. A few feet in front of her, a street vendor nodded. Nice day. Yes, it is. Jamie smiled and kept walking. See? There it was again. Before September 11, a vendor wouldn't have made eye contact unless he wanted to push a hot dog or a bag of caramelized almonds. Now? Now the man was familiar. She saw him every time she volunteered at St. Paul's. He probably knew where she was headed, what she was doing. Everyone in Lower Manhattan knew about St. Paul's. Jamie crossed the street, stopped, and turned same as she did every day. Before she could enter St. Paul's Chapel, before she could open her heart to the picture-taking tourists and the quietly grieving regulars who couldn't stay away, she had to see for herself that the towers were really gone. It was part of the ritual. She had to look across the street at the grotesque, gargantuan hole where the buildings once stood, had to remind herself why she was here, and what she was doing, that terrorists really had flown airplanes into the World Trade Center and obliterated the buildings. And two thousand lives. Because Jake had been one of those people, coming to St. Paul's kept him alive in some ways. Being at Ground Zero, helping out, that was something Jake would have done. It was the very thing he'd been doing when he died. Jamie let her gaze wander up into the empty sky, searching unseen floors and windows. Had he been on the way up, he and his best schoolboy buddy, Larry, trying to reach victims at the top? Or had he been partway down? She narrowed her eyes. If only God would give her a sign, so she would know exactly where to look. She blinked, and the invisible towers faded. Tears welled in her heart, and she closed her eyes. Breathe, Jamie. You can do this. God, help me do this. A deep breath in through her nose. Exhale, slow and steady. God, help me. My strength is sufficient for you, daughter. She often prayed at this stage of the routine, and almost as often she felt God whispering to her, coaxing her, helping her along as a father might help his little girl, the way Jake had helped Sierra. The quiet murmurs in the most hurting part of her soul were enough, enough to give her strength and desire and determination to move ahead, to go through the doors of St. Paul's and do her part to keep the vigil for all she lost more than three years ago. She turned her back to the pit, and took determined steps beside the black wrought-iron fence bordering the cemetery, around the corner to the small courtyard at the front of the chapel. The hallowed feeling always hit her here, on the cobbled steps of the little church. How many firefighters had entered here in the months after the attacks? Firemen looking for food or comfort or a shoulder to cry on. How many had passed through it since the building had reopened, looking for hope or answers or a reason to grieve the tragedy, even if it had never touched them personally. Just inside the doors, Jamie turned to the left and stopped. There, scattered over a corner table, was a ragtag display of hundreds of items, yellowed photos, keepsakes, and letters written to victims of the attacks. She scanned the table, saving his picture for last. Beneath the photo of a balding man holding a newborn baby, the grin on his face, ear to ear. Joe, we are still waiting for you to come home. Scribbled atop a wedding photo. You were everything to me, Cecile. You still are. Tacked to the side of a wallet-sized picture of a young FDNY guy. Your ladder boys still take the field every now and then, but it's not the same without you. Yesterday, Saul hit a homer, and every one of us looked up. Are you there? Every time Jamie did this, her eyes found different letters, different snippets of pain and aching loss scattered across the display. But always, she ended in the same place, at Jake's picture, and the letter written by their daughter, Sierra. Jake was so handsome, his eyes brilliant blue, even in the poorly lit corner. Jake, I'm here, Jake. When there weren't too many people working their way into the building, she could stand there longer than usual. This was one of those days. Her eyes locked on her husband's, and for a moment he was there again, standing before her. Smiling at her, holding his arms out to her. Her fingers moved toward the picture, brushing the feathery photo paper as if it were Jake's face, his